0: Listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching.
1: This is from Hebrews chapter 7. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to him, come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated. Thanks, Kyle. Well, before we reflect on the scriptures that we've just read together, uh, I want to share some news with you, some good news with you. I've been asking you all for a couple of months to pray about three things for our church, three strategic things. Uh, One of those is we've been really blessed to rent this facility. It's a really great spot. It had an invisibility cloak over it for a good number of years. I don't know why no one else snatched it up, Uh, but we're praying about should we buy it? If we buy it, should we renovate it to support long-term goals? And I'd ask you to keep praying about that. Another thing I've asked you to pray for is we want to be a church that plants more churches in the years to come. And new things help reach new people. And we don't want to get, you know, set in our ways and get all crusty as a congregation. And having kids will keep things fresh. And so uh, we want to be a church that launches more churches in the years to come. But the third thing that I've been asking you to pray for is to help find another pastor teammate to join our staff and um we we listed a position a little over a year ago Uh, some of you may have seen me put that out there on social media and in listing it probably 15 months ago we've talked to a lot of great people i mean a ton of a surprising number of people have thrown their name in the hat for a role but it just hasn't felt like the right person has come that the lord doesn't seem like there's been a like the lord has elevated a person and so uh, you know, I, I can be a, a guy who gets really excited about stuff and obsess, and then when nothing happens, I get a little disappointed. And so I've, I've ridden the waves a little bit over the last year. Um, we've, we've tried listing the job in different ways and talking about it, getting it out there in different ways, and nothing's really happened. And it's been frustrating to me. It feels like um, one of the ways I've learned to discern the Lord's voice in my life is it feels like there are, the Lord gives me a couple steps all at once. There will be nothing, and then it's like confirmation from multiple angles that were going in the right direction. But this year hasn't been like that at all. It feels like I'm trying to pull down the paving stones from heaven uh, to no avail. Until this summer. And this summer we we threw the job out there again. It's kind of like, you know, the disciples casting the nets on the other side. It's like, all right, it's probably not going to do anything. And all of a sudden we started talking to these great people, including one from the great state of Texas. I don't know if anybody cares about that. But we got into a conversation with, um, with a family, and I'm really happy to share that we have made a higher thanks be to God. So in January, I'll get to introduce to you Max and Hannah Diner. They are from Richardson, Texas, and they are just the most lovely people. Their parents do Jane and Pierce and Sam. Uh, And God has been leading the diners on a really interesting journey. Uh, uh, Max went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's serving presently in a Southern Baptist church, but the Lord has been leading him uh, into the Anglican Communion. So he's been on a journey similar to lots of us. And they were actually watching like hawks, the Seaford SO Job Board. That's our little tribe of the Anglican Church. And came across this, and we feel like God has elevated the right person at the right time for our church in this season. And I can't wait for you to meet the diners in January. So thank you for praying. This is a huge like, blessing from the Lord. And thank you also for giving so that we're able to bring on teammates to serve our church and serve the mission of our church. So thanks be to God. I'm really grateful to share that. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 7. You may I'm going to walk through about half of this passage real close if you want to keep your text open this morning. We're in a technical part of this book where the author of Hebrews is comparing and contrasting the Levitical priesthood, it's like the priesthood that God set up set up under the Mosaic covenant, comparing and contrasting that with the priesthood of Jesus. Now, look, what is the ministry of a priest? A priest represents the people to God and the God, God back to the people. In St. Augustine, in commenting on this text, he notes that whenever you're talking about priests, you're talking about sacrifices. And Augustine said, Four things are to be considered in every sacrifice. By whom the sacrifice is offered, to whom it is offered, what is offered, and for whom it is offered. And as we think about the Old Testament and the the sacrificial system set up by God and given to Moses, we remember how in the the Levitical priesthood, sacrifices are made by human beings, by the tribe of Levi, set apart. Now, the thing is, these are regular human beings like you and me, which means that they also have sin, and so they offer sacrifices not only on behalf of others, but also on behalf of themselves. Those sacrifices, of course, are made to God, to honor the Lord and also to atone for their sins the lots of offerings are prescribed under the Mosaic covenant grains are given but especially animals are given as sacrifice and the sacrifice is given in the old covenant on behalf of ethnic Israel so that they would be able to draw near to God to have their sins forgiven all of this is prescribed by God to Moses so as the text begins in verse 23, the author reminds us that um, because all of these priests in the past have just been regular people like you and me set apart, but, you know, prone to death, there have been a lot of them, and they just keep dying off <laughs> generation after generation of priests comes and does the work of ministry that God has set them apart for, and then that priest dies. Um, I, was, I went to vote this week. I don't have my sticker, but I did go to vote this week. And uh, in our polling place, it was a church in the middle of our neighborhood, and uh, I was standing in line. There was like a 15-minute wait to vote early in the morning. I saw three of you uh, in line, which was great, but I was looking at this one wall of the church, and the church was established in the mid-50s, and there had been like 12 or 15 pastors who'd served that congregation in all those years, and sometimes a pastor dies, or a pastor moves to another church, or the pastor resigns, but you see The whole you know generation after generations of these pastors uh, move on wouldn't it be weird if like 40 50 60 years ago it's like the same priest and like the same pastor continues forever he says this is what's going on with Jesus in demonstrating that the priestly ministry of Jesus is superior the author reminds us that the ministry that Jesus has is an unending ministry verses 23 and 24 Now, there have been many priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Now, in thinking about now the ministry, the sacrificial priestly ministry of Jesus, we could apply again Augustine's questions. In thinking about the new covenant, the sacrifice is offered by Jesus. He is our great high priest. Jesus is the Son of God without sin and enduring, living forever. The sacrifice is made to God the Father. And in this gift, Jesus offers himself as the sacrifice. Uh, The Nicene Creed says that he gave his life for the life of the world. And the sacrifice was offered on behalf of not just one ethnic group, but all of the ethnos, all of the people groups of the world. Uh, John the Evangelist says this in his letter. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins And not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. And because Jesus is perfect and because he lives forever, his ministry has a unique benefit to us. Verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Uh, NIV translated here says save completely. This, this term has uh, numerous meanings. On the one hand, it refers to a, a temporal meaning. Jesus is able to save for all time. Because he's never going to die, his ministry is enduring forever. But completely also refers to the efficacy, efficacy of his ministry. He's able to through and through to save us. To all parts of us, he's able to save because of the uniqueness of his ministry. The word save here, of course, means to to rescue. It means to deliver. It also means to heal and preserve. And I really like thinking of that. Jesus is able to heal forever those who come to him. And I think about the, the vulnerabilities that you and I carry. Some of us have chronic issues or illnesses or or some of us in managing our own mental health it feels like there are pain points that we will carry with us forever and we go to counseling we go to doctors and like this stuff just doesn't seem to go away but jesus will heal forever those who come to god through him it tells us that the issues and the vulnerabilities we bear are with us for now but not forever Look again at the end of verse 25. He's able to save forever those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I like how Eugene Peterson in the message says that Jesus is always on the job to speak up for us. You know, you can make fun of, you know, your own siblings as much as you want, but if somebody else makes fun of your sibling, you're going to jump to their defense. Like my brothers, they're idiots, but you can't say that, only I can. I'm always on the job to speak up for my family. Jesus is always on the job to speak up for us. When our own hearts condemn us, Jesus is on the job to speak up for us and remind us of the truer story of who we are. When our accuser reminds us the person that we've been in the past and the things that we've done in the past, Jesus is always on the job to remind us whose we are, who we are. He gives us our dignity Again, Jesus is always on the job to speak up for us. And as we begin to think about Jesus' ministry as being our high priest, being able to save forever those who come to God through him, it gives us a a theological concept that's introduced to us called the session of Christ. Are you familiar with this? Well, like when, when a court is in session, it means the judge has entered the room and taken his or her place. Court is now in session. And the Apostles' Creed tells us Jesus ascended and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is seated in a place of authority over all creation. And what is he doing in session? What is Jesus doing seated at the right hand of the Father? I can't remember for the life of me whether it was my bishop Todd Hunter or Dallas Willard who said, What Jesus is doing at the right hand of the Father is living the most interesting fascinating life ever and there at the right hand of the father jesus is pulling for us jesus is praying for you and for the person that you hate the most jesus who knows the names of every person who's ever come into the planet he's pulling for them and praying for them tom odin which is not a pseudonym for me said the principal feature of the session of Christ is that he entered into an intercessory ministry for humanity in the presence of the Father, pleading humanity's case. Only one who has known empathically what it means to suffer in the world can make this intercession rightly. The intercession occurs in heaven and continues forever. Uh, intercession, we think about often in the context of prayer, intercessory prayer, we're praying on behalf of someone else or something else. It makes me think of my friend John Samara. John is, was born in Syria. Uh, his, his dad continues to be a pastor in that country where it's really, really hostile to be a Christian, very hostile to the gospel. I'm on a WhatsApp thread with pastors throughout the Middle East and North Africa and I get to hear some of the stories of the cost of following Jesus and the cost of being a pastor and anytime I read these stories I feel like a fake pastor I feel like I am not worthy to stoop and untie the sandals on your feet but John uh, you know born in Syria moved to the United States and he has a kind of intercessory ministry on behalf of the church in the Middle East and North Africa and John hears the stories of what happens there, and he reports it here so that the church here will take action on behalf of the church there. And as a result of John's advocacy work, John's intercessory work, if you will, our little church has gotten involved. We, I don't even know if you know this. We helped fund uh, the launch of a school in the Bacaw Valley in Lebanon for Syrian refugees who are living in like, little tent settlements We've got 250, 350 kids going to school. John contended for the church over there, over here, and we acted in their, in their interest. We're paying the salary of a couple of pastors uh, who, are, who are working in a, a difficult spot in the Middle East and North Africa. We're partnering with uh, people in actually new countries. I had a conversation with some people uh, moving to a Middle Eastern country this week. So John had a kind of intercessory ministry on behalf of the church in the Middle East and North Africa. Well, in an even greater way than this, Jesus has entered the dwelling of God to represent to the Father, here's what it's like to be a person. Here are the vulnerabilities that the people made in your image are bearing down there and interceding and praying on our behalf and contending for mercy. And this is what Jesus' eternal ministry, his session, is all about. It's about interceding for humanity to the Father. Now some of you, perhaps because of the, the spiritual, religious background that you have, maybe because of your own family of origin, may hear some things that I'm not saying in the way that I'm presenting this, and I don't want the truth to be misrepresented. When Jesus intercedes to the Father on our behalf, it's not because the Father is so hacked off at you that he needs to be talked off the ledge. Jesus is, is not like holding him back because he's like, let me at him. You know, the, the, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so the things that we see and that we love in the person of Jesus Christ, who's full of grace and full of truth, that came from his Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and God looks on humanity with compassion and mercy. And Jesus is the expression of that. John used the language of him being like the Word. By our words we are known. John says Jesus is the Word of the Father. He's the communication of the Father's mercy to sinful humanity. Now listen to this. Just as we only know the light of the sun by the beams that make their way to us, but those beams find their origin in the sun itself, so the expression of the love and mercy to humanity that we find in Jesus is the love and mercy that's emanating from the Father. So look at our roof here. I need to clean out the bugs up there, and Jake shot the dart onto there. Me mentioning his name is the penance for shooting that up there. <laughs> but you see, this is a kind, of a, it's a kind of sun, and the beams are going out in all directions, and we picture our own sun. The beams that come to us find their source somewhere, and Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Jesus is the expression of the Father's mercy toward us. Now, as I said, this is a bit of a technical passage. And, and, you know, many of us don't really relate to God and using the language, the priestly language. I'm technically a priest, if you don't know that, in the Anglican Church. But, but many of us don't think about God in those terms, and, and we could readily miss the forest for the trees in this passage. But there's something that's really important, the, the generating, animating force behind this passage, the big why for the priestly intercessory ministry of Jesus that I don't want you to miss. And the big why behind the incarnation and the ministry and the passion and the intercession of Jesus is the burning heart of God to be reconciled with his, with his people. It's the overwhelming desire of God, our Father, who wants to be near to his children. Think about verse 25 again. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him. What he wants for us to do is to come to the Father through the Son, Jesus. And Jesus is always praying that this would be realized in our lives. He is always praying that we would be reconciled. Uh, I think of, it's always moms, it's often moms saying, you know, hey, When was the last time you called Aunt Marjorie? When was the last time you called this family member or that family member on your case to be reconciled to to others in so much a greater way? Uh, Jesus is always contending for us to be reconciled to the Father. The goal is communion. The goal is fellowship. Um, John Owen, again, not another pseudonym for me, uh, writing in the 1600s, said, Communion is the mutual communication of such good things as wherein the person holding that, persons holding that communion are delighted. Communion is a relational connection where there's a back and forth giving and receiving that results in delight. Our communion, then, with God, consisteth in his communication of himself unto us, with our returnal unto him of that which he requireth and accepteth flowing from that union which in Jesus Christ we have with him John Owen was writing and had a really unique insight into the writings of the New Testament and he said that uh, the communication with God is not just with God generically but the scriptures present that we have a unique opportunity for fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son and with God the Spirit. And this mutual communication, this communion ought to result in delight. And he demonstrates from the scriptures that there is this particular communion that we're meant to receive and to share with the Father. And speaking of our communion with the Father, Owen writes, I come now to declare what is peculiarly and eminently the saints in communion with the Father. Peculiar means like particular, unique. This is what we get from the Father, and it's imminent, meaning it's so very close. And the, the communion that we share with the Father is love. Free, undeserved, and eternal love. This, the Father peculiarly fixes upon the saints, this they are immediately to eye in him, to receive of him, and to make such returns thereof as he is delighted withal. What we get from the Father is just abundant love, and what he hopes in return from us is our own. And this is the great discovery of the gospel, says Owen. For whereas the Father, as the fountain of the deity, is not known any other way, but is full of wrath and anger and indignation against sin... Nor can the sons of men have any other thoughts of him. Here he is now revealed peculiarly as love, as full of it unto us. The manifestation whereof is the peculiar work of the gospel. Owen says, because we know God to be full of wrath and indignation toward sin, we assume that he's full of the same toward us. But in the gospel, we look into the face of God whom we think to be an enemy and we find instead a friend. And even more so, a father who is so full of love for us. Jesus wanted this to be known. He told parables, so he said, I want you to get what my kingdom is like and I want you to get what my father is like. We see in Luke 15, he tells this, this trio of parables, the, the, the parable of the woman who lost the coin and just tore apart her house because it was so important and dear to her and when she found it she called over friends and they threw a party because what was lost has now been found and told the other story the story of the good shepherd who left the flock of 99 because there was one who had gone missing and when they found that one he rejoiced and they called together his friends because what was lost was now found and Jesus is like no it's even better than that and he says this, my my father is like an earthly father who had two kids and one of those sons said dad I wish you were dead I'm going to take my inheritance now and go blow it however I want. And the son goes to a far off country and he squanders his resources with wild living. And he finds himself at the end of his rope and he's in, a, in the, the, eating the pig's slop with the pigs, undignified, humiliated, and thinks, well, if, at least if I go home, my dad will treat me like a servant. And Jesus said to all these people who are listening, do you want to know what my father is like? Do you want to know? He said, well, imagine that kid starts making his way back home. He's practicing his I'm sorry speech. You want to know what my father is like? He's like the dad who's camped out on the front porch just waiting and hoping that that kid will return. And and while he was still a long way off, his father's heart was full of compassion and he ran to his son. And before the son could practice his I'm sorry speech, the father throws a robe on his shoulders and puts a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. And he said, let's throw a luau because my kid is back. The one who was lost has been found. The one who was dead to us is alive again. And Jesus says, this is what my Father is like. Jesus is the communication of the mercy and the love that generates and emanates from the heart of the Father. The communion that we're meant to share with the Father through the Son is that of love. What God chiefly wants of us is to know how deeply he loves us and for us to return and to reciprocate his love. I got a text this week out of the blue. Someone I've not talked to in a long time. I was even surprised they have my number. And they're not doing well. And life is kind of falling apart. And they're facing the consequences for a series of really poor choices. And they're like, he said to me, I feel so ashamed to even reach out to you or to like even think about God because I didn't need him when I was doing my own thing. And all of a sudden, I'm coming back tail between my legs. And, you know, like I've been in I'm, my brothers. This is free. When I was little, my brothers uh, called me Churchy McChurch. Because I've always been a church kid. I love the Lord. I've been in church. I'm a straight-laced kind of guy. You're going to call me that now. That's all right. (laughs) You know, and I graduate Christian high school. I go to Christian college. And I go to Christian seminary. And, like, I breathe the oxygen of, like, church and God and all this stuff. And sometimes I forget, oh, to not know that. I've grown up with mom and dad who loved me. You take that for granted until you realize, no, not everyone has that kind of implicit approval that they inherit. And and for us to talk about the love of God might be something that's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Until you have these moments where you realize, like, oh, there are so many people who don't have an anchored and established sense of self because they they don't know how deeply the Father loves them. The catechism of our church asks the question, what is the way of death? And the answer is, the way of death is a life without God's love and Holy Spirit, a life controlled by things that cannot bring me eternal joy, leading only to darkness, misery, and eternal condemnation. And I'm reminded this week, there's so many in our world, perhaps even in here, who are walking in the way of death. I mean, that you're walking without the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you, reminding you of the good stuff that Jesus has said, the good stuff that Jesus is doing in you, bringing fruits and gifts out of your life. People who live without knowing how deep the Father's love is for us. And lacking that core find some kind of way to stabilize themselves sometimes it looks like growing in addictions to things that cannot bring eternal joy it leads to darkness and and misery makes me think of that old keith green song that probably four of us in this room will know how can they live without jesus what i hope for you to leave with today is i want you to know that god loves you so deeply The heart of the Father toward you is one of charity. It's one of mercy. Because he loves you, he he is heartbroken over the things that we're addicted to that cannot bring us eternal joy. He's heartbroken over the alienation that sin causes. Sin alienates me from God, my neighbor, God's good creation, and myself. Apart from Christ, I'm hopeless, guilty, lost, helpless, and walking in the way of death. And he sent his son Jesus as the assurance and the communication of his love for us. And I've been trying to get my brain around this for decades, and I don't know that I ever will, but somehow what Jesus did on the cross was for you and it was for me. In a way that defies the the powers of explanation, what Jesus did on the cross was this grand gesture of love from the Father to the world. And what he invites a response of us to help us to live in the Father's love. He wants to help us restore communion with the Father. In order for this to happen, Owen would say two things are required. One of them is particular to the fellowship that we have with the Son. And the relationship that we're meant to have with the Son in part is characterized by believing in the one that the Father has sent We're meant to trust, even if we don't completely understand, that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me. Paul said to Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. We're meant to believe, to believe in the one that the Father has sent, Jesus, Jesus who makes a way for us, Jesus who is the sacrifice, who is our our high priest. Jesus is eternally interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. We're meant to believe in the one that the Father has sent. And the other, is we're meant to enjoy this peculiar communion with the Father wherein we receive his love. And the evidence of our receiving it is our believing it. I believe, Father, that you love me and that you delight in me. And then the natural expression of this is to return that love. I love you, Lord. I love you. He says, if we believe in the one he has sent, we receive and believe in the love of the Father, he's pleased to come and make his dwelling with us, and the love of Christ will be shed abroad in our hearts. I loved, it was actually quite helpful for me this week in studying Owen again, thinking about the unique communion we have within the persons of the Godhead. And thinking that there's this, do you remember the old jars of clay lyric, it seems too easy to call you a savior, not close enough to call you a God. It's too generic times to just say God. Oh, but then to think that I offer my prayers to the Father through the intercessory work of Jesus and nudged along by the Holy Spirit. begin to think, Jesus, I believe that you are the way to your Father. Bring me into his presence so that I may receive his love by the Holy Spirit. And that might be a prayer for you as you're thinking about not just God generically, but thinking the God that's been revealed to us in the scriptures. Jesus, I believe that you are the way to your Father. Bring me into his presence so that I may receive and reciprocate his love by the Holy Spirit what I'd love to do now before we receive the Eucharist holy communion is is to just guide you through praying that in your own way. It's just to say help me and ask the lord to communicate his love to you again. Let's pray together. In fact, I haven't done something like this maybe since I was in high school. But if, you, if your heart is as my heart and you want to pray this way, maybe you just repeat after me. Jesus, I believe that you are the way to your Father. Bring me into his presence that I may receive his love. Our Father, we, we thank you that you were not content to let us live forever in an alienated state. If I, Lord Jesus, forgive me if I could take your parable. What you've done in your incarnation is, is you, the Son of the Father, have gone to the far off country to find and rescue the prodigal and to remind the prodigal of the Father's heart that's full of love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in our, in our doubt, in our insecurity, you speak a word of love over us. We need only to look back to the cross and remember, for God so loved the world and so loved me that he gave his son. Any who would believe in him would not perish, but have life in the age to come. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we look into your face and we expect disappointment or we expect wrath, we see instead a loving father who's eager for us to come home. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. And Lord Jesus, as we consider your ministry today, we we hear the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 urging us, be reconciled to God. It's safe to come home. You don't even have to work so hard on your I'm sorry speech. But come and receive my love and live in my love and let my love transform you. Jesus, as we are here today, we're asking you to make your presence known and to assure us of the love of the Father, and I pray that you'll do it as we receive communion. Pour out your Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Assure us of the love of the Father and give this to us not only for our sake, but for the sake of those who do not yet know, through whom we might be a communication of the mercy of God. Lord Jesus, we love you and we honor you. Pray that you'd hold us in the strength of your prayers and bring us into communion with the Father by the Spirit. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship community in person.
1: You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.